Welcome to Milkshake Monday, episode 246. The title is And Peter. The Christian discipleship journey is no cakewalk. And I got this scripture and we're going to start in Acts chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 because a lot of times on the journey of our lives we want to ask God a lot of questions about when God why God, how God. And I want us to hear what Christ says to his disciples in Acts chapter one, when they want to ask him the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? And his response in verse seven is something I want to respond to all of us, including myself, this passage. He says, this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even hearing that, we still have a question. And we love the scripture of Jeremiah 29:11 where the Lord says, "For I know the plans I have for you." declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But we want a read ahead. We want some insight. We want an agenda. We want a timeline, a milestone chart. And I can tell you something happened to me probably about five or six weeks ago. God gave me a glimpse of something that is going to happen in my future. Just a glimpse. I got so excited and then as I drove away and probably not with not even an hour later, I started thinking, well, how's that going to happen? How's that going to unfold? And I felt like I was putting my mind to it. And that's why I realized God said, uh, uh, that's why I can't tell y'all nothing because you think you have to put your hand on it. And it's the way God is going to allow things in our lives and our future to unfold. So tonight we're going to look at someone we often talk about. I love my brother, Peter. We often refer to him sometimes, some people in some denominations of churches refer to him as Saint Peter, but Peter himself would not want to be referenced as a saint because he knew otherwise. Yes, we have a lot of things that I'm going to show you about Peter tonight, and I can't show them all, else it would take hours and hours and hours, but I'm going to take uh, just some critical stories to prove a point about this journey not being a cakewalk. This journey, in his case, where God saved his soul, but God also had to find that he had to reveal to Peter who he really was, because Peter had a false understanding of his bravado, what he thought he could do, what he thought he was. And God had to kind of say, no, Peter, you're wrong about this. And even Peter gets so bold that you're going to see that he tried to rebuke Christ to his face. And some of us get bold like that, not knowing what we're talking about, not knowing who we're talking to when it comes to our lives and the things of Christ. And Christ has to allow us to see where we fall and we fail. And that's where we always talk about Peter's three denials, but we don't talk about ourselves. But we don't talk about the restoration of Peter. We don't talk about how even in his restoration, there was still additional correction. There were still additional times where Christ had to say, what is that to you? Paul had to get up in Peter's face and say, hey, don't be a hypocrite. Even we see that Peter, after his denials, after his restoration, that even found Peter in a state of incarceration. He was in prison. 
but something had changed from the beginning that we saw in Peter to as he was transitioning to become Simon Peter, Cephas the rock. And people get it misguided too to say the rock that he spoke about Christ, it was Christ. It was not Peter. Some people have built their church on Peter. It's on Christ, the solid rock we stand, not on Peter. But we have to get that understanding. And I think that's going to help tonight. Now, let me tell you something about our brother, Peter, because we get him so spiritual. First of all, I think many of us consider the disciples older men and they're getting their AARP card. These were young men. And let me tell you some things about Peter that we probably don't think about. In our human brother, Peter, who was a sinner saved by grace, not a saint, he was a son he was a brother to Andrew who introduced him to Jesus Christ. He also was a husband. In order for him to have a mother-in-law that had a high fever that Jesus had to come in and heal, he was married. So people saying that Peter somehow was the foundation of some church thing to say that people can't be married, Peter was married. He was a son-in-law to that mother-in-law. He was also a businessman. He was a fisherman with partners to include his brother and others. He was a house owner. He had neighbors. Peter was a part-time caregiver because his sick mother-in-law was in the house. His wife was taking care of her sick mama. He also was a friend and he had relatives and he had people who he supervised in his fisherman business. He had partners, like I said. So, and also he was the disciple that Christ said, follow me. So you have to understand that some of these situations where we only see somebody one dimensional, we're not one dimensional. I'm just not a person talking to you as a teacher tonight. I have many responsibilities. I have many things, but for the foremost priority in my life, I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to being a mother and a worker and a friend and a neighbor and a house owner and all those other things. So I wanted you to have that appreciation because when we think of Peter, we sometimes don't realize that many of the great stories about identifying how real the disciples were, were because of the interaction between Peter and Jesus Christ. And in Mark chapter 16, verse seven, after the denial, after the resurrection of Christ, the angel tells the women, go get the disciples and A-N-D, Peter. So there would be no misunderstanding, even though it was John and Peter who may have a knowledge of those denials more than all the other disciples, because they flew, they actually went their separate ways. And it was John and Peter that followed after Christ as he was going judgment hall to judgment hall that night. But it was Peter that we always call out about the disciples. But at the resurrection, it was clear that God Almighty wanted to make sure that Peter was included because there was more for him to do. So I'm going to show you a few examples before we get into some content of things that we have the benefit because Peter was part of the number. And because of that, I want to show you some marvelous things that we have the ability to see because of Peter, we can see when he didn't understand things, he asked Christ questions in Matthew chapter 15, 15 in the new living translation. It says there was something discussed about a parable. And Peter didn't let it go to just go in one ear and out the other. He said, then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. He asked Jesus directly, 
We don't understand this. Explain it. And even as disciples to now, right now, the Holy Spirit is there to bring to our remembrance those things that we have studied and put inside in the teach and proclaim word of God. And times that we don't have understanding, the Lord has allowed the Holy Spirit to not just be our comforter, but to be our trainer, to be our explainer, to be our conduit, to have supernatural power of spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of discernment, all these spiritual gifts that we strive for, but the Holy Spirit is there. And Peter shows us that it's okay and encouraged for us to ask questions of God and allow the spirit of God to teach us through the word of God, through the preach and proclaim word of God. Now, here's something else. Peter shows us in the example that you see in Luke chapter five, verses four through five and five through eight, that story about Peter being a fisherman and he fished all night long. He worked as a disciple, but he also had had maintained some level of his business and he had found himself out on that water all night long and Christ sees him in the wee hours of the morning when he's tired and he's exhausted and has no catch, no fish or in the net, no profits for the business, no monetary revenues coming in for the work they did that night. And then this encounter happens. It says Christ told Peter to lower his nets. I want you to see in this exchange that there are times in your and my life that we will be exhausted from whatever we're doing in the natural and the Holy Spirit will speak to us to do something that doesn't make sense, that goes against what we think in the natural, but we don't know what is ahead and how God is orchestrating something for our benefit. It says here, Christ told Peter to lower his nets. Peter talked back to Jesus to explain something. We toiled all night exhaustedly and caught nothing. But on the ground of your word, I will lower the nets again. Verse eight, Peter saw the the catch. He saw so much of the catch. He saw that the nets were so full it was dragging the boats down. He had to call all of his partners to come in so they could get a part of this catch so nothing would be lost. It says here, Peter saw and fell down at Jesus's knees, but when Simon See, he saw all of that catch. He realized that if he had not followed the direction of Christ, he would have missed out on a manifold blessing that Christ knew was there and available to him if he had not followed his direction. But look what he says. It says, but when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized who he was. Peter allowed himself to receive a miracle of God, but then he professed, God, I'm not who you think I am. I know you've asked me to follow you, but I'm a sinful man. And sometimes our egos, because we spend so much time in church, we spend so much time wearing the church clothes and doing all the things that we see in church. We forget when we start to see the people who aren't in the household of faith, the people who aren't, as we say, cleaned up. We forget that we are all sinners, that we all have sinned and fallen short. But here Peter recognizes it. 
And verse 10 says, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, have no fear. From now on, you will be catching men. That's something we learned from our brother Peter. So I want us to have this understanding. Also think about this. There were times that Peter did not want to, how do you put it? Peter would get up in the face of Christ. Peter would jump out there too soon. Peter would get ahead of himself because I guess he'd spent so much time with Christ. He thought they were comfortable enough that he could start making decisions that weren't to be his decision. So let me share with you some things about Peter. And this one I want to start with is that Satan understood all the walking that Peter was having with Christ, all the teaching that there was something special about Peter. There was something that was being imparted in Peter in this lesson, even as he gets to the point, we're not even there yet where he's going to deny, but all that special time of questioning Christ and being with Christ and Christ showing things and all these interactions with Peter, the Lord Jesus tells Peter something that I think all of us need to understand as we are starting to bear more fruit in our life. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon. Peter, listen, Satan has asked excessively that all of you be given up to him out of the power and keeping of God that he might sift you, all of you like grain. Satan wanted to destroy. He wanted to destroy Peter. He wants to destroy each and every one of us because there's something in the journey. There's something in the path that he realizes that with every breath that we take to praise God, to study of God's word, to be in God's presence, to allow the Holy Spirit to use us, to direct us, to have us go. Satan says, I want to end that. I want to end Peter. I don't want Peter to get to the point of the denial. I want to end him now. And it says he excessively was asking the permission of God, because he can't touch us unless God allows for whatever he allows to come into our life. And he, and I think Christ was trying to show us that Satan is always wanting to seek whom he can devour. And it's those of us who love God and want to do his word, who want to do the great commission, who want to share the love of God. He wants to destroy us. So why are you surprised when your mind is struggling with depression. Why are you surprised when your children are disobeying and causing you frustration, causing you to be distracted? Why are you surprised when you are falling apart because you think you're inadequate because you don't have a woman in your life or you don't have a man in your life or something is not going right as you think it should because Satan wants to get at you. Those fiery darts are specific to target exactly what he knows over the time of mankind. What is to get you off track from your journey, from your destiny. But Christ says to Peter, I have prayed for you. They didn't allow it to happen, but I have prayed for you. So it's no surprise when we get to the denials that Christ tells them before it happens. Christ will tell us some things before it happens if we would only believe him. Peter did not believe what Christ says. Everybody's going to deny. He comes back and you're going to see, not me, everybody but me. And he's going to find at the third denial, the rooster is going to crow and eye to eye, 
Christ's eye is going to see Peter's eye and Peter is going to whip, weep bitterly. And he's going to think he's not part of the team until the angel says, go get the disciples and Peter. And you're going to see in the upcoming verses that there is a private one-on-one between Jesus and Simon that we don't even hear the scriptures read anything to tell us what was happening in that conversation. But I will pose to you that it was restoration. That just as Jesus's eyes met Peter's eyes, I, I, we see that Peter is told in Luke twenty two thirty one that Satan had that desire to sift him like wheat. That Christ told him, you're going to deny. Everybody will. But I want you to know there's more head. And for those of you who have turned your back because you think, oh, I failed God, I backslid and I haven't been in the house of worship for so long. I don't even know they're going to point me out. Let them come on back. Peter was a man that has allowed us to see that he was saved from sin. Peter has shown us so many opportunities that we're not to bow. I just taught about Cornelius and Cornelius thought because Peter was told the angel told him that Peter was coming, that the first thing he did is bow down. And Peter said, get up. I'm just the man. I think if we would stop putting some of these people that we see in the Bible on such a high pedestal and realize we're disciples, they were disciples. We're going through a life of times to share Christ. They went through a life and time to share Christ. And it wasn't perfection. Now, we're going to go to this question that Christ asked all of his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Simple question. But all the disciples didn't answer. But Peter did. And Peter reflected the words it says in in Matthew 16, verse 16. I'm going to share a lot of of the gospel and different passages in the upcoming moments. But Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's where I want to tell you something about up and down momentum about us as Christians disciples on our journey. That's no cakewalk. We can, as soon as be in a position of spiritual knowledge and wisdom, like Peter is when he says you are the Christ. And moments later in the scripture, you will find that Peter is going to try to rebuke and correct Jesus Christ. He's going to hear something from Christ's lips about what is to come. And he's going to take Christ aside and say, don't say that. No, Lord, you can't say that. And Christ is going to tell him, get behind me, Satan, because you don't tell me. I tell you, the father and I tell you. And some of us, no matter what position of authority we may be in churches, high, low, in between, we are trying to tell Christ how to run the house of prayer, how to run the house of worship with these rules and regulations and these uh, charters and these all these things that we're doing that are outside the word of God. Like Peter, we're getting up in Christ's face to tell him how to run his house. And that's not going to fly. Here in Mark 8, chapter 29 is the same scripture, but I'm reading it now from Mark versus the Matthew context. It says, and he asked them, but who do you yourselves say that I am? Peter replied to him, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And we understand, like I said before, that rock and the foundation that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it is the understanding of Christ himself. 
being the anointed one, the Messiah. It's not Peter. Peter is a sinner born into sin, shaping into iniquity, just like us. People can make him a saint. God said he's Peter. He's a disciple. And he said it wasn't, it was the Lord, the anointed, the Holy Father that gave him that understanding. So Peter shares about Christ being the son of the living God. Peter was at some key locations as well. If you think about it, he was at the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw God, Jesus turned himself inside out, but he was foolish enough also to say, hey, let's make three shelters and pillars for Elijah, Moses, and you. So he's done some stupid thing. He's at a great place to be at the Mount of Transfiguration. He says something and sees something great. Then he says something stupid and God has to interrupt. He's there to say that God is the son of the living God, the anointed one. But then he wants to tell God, don't say what you're going to say. You, you got it wrong and it doesn't fly. Peter's also the person that, if you think about this, the tax collectors wanted to get after Jesus to say, Has, is your master going to pay his taxes? They go to Peter. They asked Peter. The, the tax collectors came up to Peter asking him, the master doesn't pay taxes. And Peter had to ask Christ. And Christ told him to go send somebody, go and find the fish and the fish is going to have our tax money. Peter is so intricate in so many things that we can learn from. Now, here is where Peter takes Christ aside to rebuke him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. I'm taking you around Robin's barn tonight because I really want to poke at you to go and read chapters on your own in your own private time. It's got a lot of nuggets. I don't want to give you 75 scriptures, but I want to tell you enough that you can say, maybe I'll take the time to read the gospels over the next couple of months. It's got some interesting stories there. It says the disciples here went from revelation to foolishness. So here's the example about Peter in Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him aside to speak to him privately and began to reprove and charge him sharply saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. Now I'm going to read the same scripture of the context, but out of Matthew chapter 8, 32. And he said this freely and frankly and plainly and explicitly making it unmistakable. And Peter took him by the hand. Do y'all hear that? Peter took him by the hand and led him aside and then facing him began to rebuke him. Who needs to take Jesus by the hand? We need Jesus to take us by the hand. But Peter took him by the hand and said, Lord, I got to tell you something. I got to talk to you. Now I'm going to do the same thing showing you what's going on in Mark chapter 16, 23, and also Matthew 8, 33, the same passages in two different gospels. Here we go. Jesus's response. But Jesus turned away. Remember, Peter is saying something face to face to him, rebuking him. But Jesus turned away from Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are in my way an offense and a hindrance and a snare to me for you are minding what partakes not of the nature and quality of God, but of men. Same passage coming out of Mark chapter eight, verse 33, but turning around his back to Peter and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, 
Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have a mind intent on promoting what God wills, but what pleases men. You are not on God's side, but that of men. Peter was in a position at one time to say, you're the living God, you're the son of God, you're anointed one. And then he gets up in Christ's face. And Christ has to tell him, no, correction, rebuke back to him. Say, you don't ever rebuke me. Now we're going to get to the part of where we're going to see Peter start some of this denying. Because we always hear about the denials. And I want to show you from different passages of the same gospels. John has the most vivid of the gospels, but I'm going to show you in Matthew first, that account. And then I'm going to show you in John because John was there when it says to you that the disciple that went in and had access and asked the girl at the door to let him in. It was John. And when you see after the resurrection, that John, that foot race between Peter and the other disciple that beat him there, it was John. Cause it always says the disciple whom Jesus loved that's re referencing John. So when you see this back and forth that you're going to see it's between Peter and John. And this is where you're going to see the accounts of the denial. So let's start in Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 26. We'll be at verse 56 and 69, 73 through 75. And I'm just going to tell you the snippets of where he was as he was doing the denials. And then I'll get to the actual denials. It says here, but Peter followed him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest's home. He even went inside and sat with the guards to see the end. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and one maid came up to him and said, you are also with Jesus, the Galilean. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, you certainly are one of them too, for even your accent betrays you. Then Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not even know the man. And at that moment, a rooster crowed. Look at Luke 22, verse 61, real quick. This is when the eye contact of Peter and Jesus happened, that we see one of the gospels actually speak out to it. I'm framing them together so you can kind of get a picture of what's going on. And I want you to see that the, I'm going to have a lot of Ann Peters, but here is one of our first Ann Peters. Verse 61 says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter recalled the Lord's words how he had told him before the cock crows today, you will deny me thrice. Go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. Same things, but this is going to be out of Matthew versus Luke. And Peter remembered Jesus's words when he had said before a single rooster crows, you will deny and disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. How many times on our life's journey as Christian disciples, have we failed God? 
Have we disappointed God? Have we brought sadness and shame based on our behavior of our bodies, of our minds, of our mouths, of our decisions, of the outcomes of things that we wanted to do right, but it just failed us. And we found ourselves crying, hot tears, weeping bitterly in disappointment of ourselves and finding fault. But Christ doesn't leave us like that. And Christ is not going to leave Peter like that. Now here's John's account of the denial in a clear lightning rod view. We're going to read consecutively John 18 verses 16 through 18. And we'll have some Ann Peters in this as well. But Peter was standing outside at the door. So the other disciple, this is John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the maid who kept the door and brought Peter inside. Then the maid who was in charge at the door said to Peter, you are not also one of the disciples of this man, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and the guards, the attendants, had made a fire of coals for it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves and Peter was with them standing and warming himself. We're going to jump down to John 18, 25, but Simon Peter still was standing and was warming himself. They said to him, you are not also one of his disciples. Are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the high. Then he said, I'm not verse 26. One of the high priest servants, a relative, of the man who, whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Verse 27, and Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. The and Peter moments of our lives can be shown in those denials. When we get our back against a wall, and the Peter that's the husband, the Peter that's the son-in-law, the Peter that's the brother, the Peter that's a neighbor, the Peter that's a, a businessman, we get our back up against the wall. We forget about being Peter the disciple. When there's a choice with standing for truth of what God says, we think about all those other roles and we're like, gotta protect ourselves, self-preservation. But we're gonna see a transition that's going to happen from that Peter to the one that's going to be restored and the one that we're going to see at the end of the story who finds himself incarcerated and is able to go to sleep and allow the Lord through a holy angel to deliver him. So let's look at this restoration. I've already read to you Mark 16 verse 7, but I'm going to repeat it again from the NIV. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. This is Jesus. There you will see him just as he told you. Now I'm going to read Luke chapter 24 verses nine through 12 for some continuity, because before I share with you about this running uh, between John and Peter, I want you to see that the disciples are at the house, the 11 of them, because Judas has hung himself. So they refer to 11. The women are going to have gone to the tomb, seen the angels, seen that Jesus is not in the tomb run back. The disciples hearing the story of the women are not going to believe the women's account except for Peter. And when Peter thinks about it, Peter is going to physically leave 
and wonder what this all means. And you're going to get this excerpt that in his leaving, Christ finds him and has a conversation with him and sees him so that he'll be able to testify back to the 11, other 10 that are waiting back. Christ is risen, like he said, like he told us. So here in verse 9 through 12 of Luke 24, when they came back from the tomb, these are the women, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, I want to tell you about the running before I go to tell you this other part. So I know I'm jumping around. Go to John chapter 2. 20 verses 2 through 10. I want to read this running before I go to what happens back at the house when Peter gets back. So starting with verse 2 of John 20. This is one of the women coming back with that message. The angel said, go talk to the disciples and Peter. It says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, which we know that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have taken, put him, excuse me. So Peter and the other disciples, disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the stripes of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. He caught up and went straight into the tomb. John, the beloved disciple, stayed out and looked in. Peter got there late, but he walked in straight away. The fearfulness was falling off. He walked in straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of the linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He was hesitant, but Peter's in there, so he's going in there too. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had, had, had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were st they were staying. Now, now we're going to jump back to the Luke passage. We're, we're going to understand that there is an actual discussion of a road to the Emmaus where Christ is going to meet two people that are disciples, but they don't recognize him because he's in his glorified body. And not until he breaks bread with them and thanks makes thanks for the bread. Do they realize they've been talking to Jesus? And they said, didn't our, our hearts burn when he spoke, right? To other scriptures. Then they ended up leaving to go back to that same setting where the 11 were in the house together and all the other people. So that's where we're going to catch up for Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 35. So the they in verse 33 is those two from the two that were just with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. 
had dinner with him and they just realized who he was. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, now here it is. It's true. You're going to say, what's the it? Here we go. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now this, this group here has to have heard from Simon that I just talked to Jesus. I just had a one-on-one with Jesus. And we don't know what was said in that restoration and that one-on-one, but Jesus had an eye-to-eye discussion with Simon Peter after the denial, after him seeing and recognizing what he said about the three times he was going to deny him. They've had a talk. They've had a meeting of the hearts to say, Peter, you're part of my team. I know you better than you know yourself. That's why I keep saying that scripture all the time that God demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us. Christ already knew about the denial. He told Peter, he told about the running of all the disciples away, strike the shepherd and the sheep. He's told them all about what was to happen. But just like he said from Acts one, it's not up for us to know the times and the dates of what the father has, because we can't handle it. Even when Christ told Peter what was ahead, he didn't believe it. Sometimes if Christ would tell us, the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what God has in store for our future, we wouldn't believe it or we'd run from it. We'd find every excuse not to do it like we saw Moses. I can't talk. Send somebody else. Not me, not me. Verse 35, then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And from that point on, I want y'all to understand something as well. You never see in any of the gospels and the acts of the apostles that Peter talked about his denials anytime after that passage happened. He didn't live in his past. He didn't let his past paralyzes future. But for us as disciples, we keep talking about all our past as though somehow God is throwing up in our face. Do you remember that it was Peter that says, how many times should we forgive our, you know, somebody that wrongs against us, Lord, seven times. And the Lord said, no, no, no. 70 times seven. He was letting them know that forgiveness is in his blood. His blood stained sacrifice is to forgive and he wants us to forgive and he wants us to realize that when we sin that we can go to God and he forgives and remember it's that sin no more but why do we keep hanging on to the lifestyles the things that we've done that have been evil the things that have caused people to be incarcerated the things that have caused people to to be spit upon to be thought evilly of you can't control what other people think of you, but you can control the thoughts that you think of yourself. Sometimes I love when I hear the teachers talk about attitude, that attitude is the self thoughts being manifested on the outside. So when you have a low disposition and esteem and your head is held low and you're depressed and you're feeling like you're no good, it's because of what you're thinking in your thought life. You're not thinking of yourself, what Christ thinks of you, Christ loves you enough to die for you. So when you say nobody cares, nobody loves you, nobody, this you're under, you're not, you're not understanding. 
Christ loved you so much that he took himself from eternity in deity and came down and put himself in human flesh and deity and gave his life as a sacrifice because of his love. But you can't receive it because you're thinking evil of yourself. And Peter, who denied Christ, saw his denial in the face of looking at Christ, was restored. Now, this last passage, you would say, why are you going to Peter being incarcerated? Herod had just killed James. And he wanted to get in favor with the Jews to the point in Acts chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, that he snagged Peter because he was going to incarcerate Peter. So probably if he had had the opportunity, he was going to probably kill Peter. But because you saw the angel said, go get the disciples and Peter and God, knowing that Satan had already asked to sift Peter like we God had plans for Peter. And it wasn't going to be destroyed at Herod's hand. It wasn't going to be destroyed because people think they can destroy you, but they can't do anything that God doesn't allow them to do to you because God has a plan and he knows the plans and purposes that he has for your life. He knows what's in your Psalm 139, those books. He knows the pages. He knows how long the birth date and the dash and that end date. And he knows it. So here we find Peter getting ready to be in an incarcerated state and he's going to get freed by the supernatural power of God. But you find that he's sleeping to the point the angel has to kick him. He has to get redressed. But the old Peter, the old denier, the the one that's not even thinking about his past, they're not thinking about the time that he doubted after he, he came out of the boat and he said, Lord, save me. He's not thinking about all those times that his ego and his arrogance have gotten him in trouble. He's been incarcerated. and He knows disciples are being killed, but he's able to sleep. And there are people back at the house of the mama who's her boy just got killed and they're having a prayer meeting. Can you think of yourself having your son murdered and you allowing the church to come in your house and pray? Pray for another person that's a disciple of the way who's in, in trouble, harm's way, and you're going to have everybody come and have a prayer meeting. You could have did, oh, poor is me. My son is gone. I'm so sad. I can't have anybody. He said, no, we're going to pray. We're going to get God in this. We're going to pray constantly, constantly, constantly for people, Peter, because we want this to be changed. And we know who the person that can change. And he's in heaven at the right hand of God, the father. And we're going to pray the Holy Spirit because we don't already seen how the Holy Ghost has manifested himself in Acts 2. And he's doing marvelous things. And they are trying to stop the train of Peter's journey. But they don't know that we got God on our side. So we'll end this story with Acts 12, verse 5 through 17. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. The same night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, guards in front of the door kept in prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, stand up quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, get dressed and put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, put on your cloak and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know 
that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he saw a vision. When they went past the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, now I truly know that the Lord has sent out his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod, a king y'all. And from everything the Jewish people were expecting. Thinking about that, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she she recognized Peter's voice, she didn't open the gate for joy, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, this time, remember the women were crazy when they reported that Christ had been taken from the tomb. They didn't believe it. They think the road is crazy. They said to her, you are crazy. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But he beckoning to them with his hand to be silent, declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. What a journey. What a journey. Do you understand how the legacy of Peter had to say, yes, go get his disciples and Peter. There was so much more to do. There was so much more to be restored. And that's how God wants to say, and Anita and Pam and all of us by name, don't get trapped in your past denials and failures. Understand that God wants to restore you because there's work to do. I always say the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. If we could get the labors to understand the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God, the freedom and liberty of God, even when you're incarcerated, God can bring you liberty. It's not just about Peter. It's about us. If we would take the truths of the stories and the journey of of Peter as a Christian disciples for our modern day life, we will understand the power of God is with us. We have that same Holy Spirit, almighty God power. And just like God wants us to in the great commission, he wants us to go, go in that power, that, that authority that he has. I love you. And Lord willing, don't forget to check out the, the Fordos production store. I was told what's the actual website link. I'm going to tell you, I'll put it in my uh, comments too. www. the number four D O E S P R O D U C T I O N dot org O R G. That's my website where the store is. You can get whatever you want and whatever size you are looking for. We are putting new products up every week. I thank you. I thank you for subscribing. I thank you for all your support. All of you, I love you. And I'm so grateful to be here teaching for the Lord. God bless you.